Welcome to Latinos Who Tech. My name is Hugo Castellanos. I'm an engineer and I work in Silicon Valley. I am originally from Caracas, Venezuela, and I've been calling the U.S. home for the last 20 years. When it comes to Latinos in the U.S., we are 60 million people, but we're only 3% of the workers in science or engineering. As a professional in Silicon Valley, I've had the opportunity to meet some remarkable professionals that work in the tech industry, Latinos like me. With this podcast, I want to bring you a collection of their stories and how they got a job in tech in the first place. And if they had to start all over again, what would they do differently? I want to share with you career advice on how to get a job in tech, how to deal with imposter syndrome, how to find your tribe when you're the only one in the room. This is Latinos Who Tech. This episode of Latinos Who Tech is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the world's premium platform for audiobooks with over 150,000 titles. If you're like me, you're passionate about learning new things, but finding the time to read may be difficult. Audiobooks are a great alternative. You can get a free 30-day trial plus a free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash latinos. Go and support them since they support us. Thank you. So tell me about yourself a little bit. I grew up uh, in the Central Valley here in Fresno, California. It's a I guess kind of like a more agricultural town, definitely one of the smaller cities, but yeah, it's one of the bigger cities between like San Francisco and Los Angeles, which is pretty cool. But yeah, both of my parents were from Mexico and then I was born here and my dad worked in electronics, like a camera manufacturing plant down there that I think is no longer in business in that area. <laughs> I think that that was kind of what kind of got me into all of this stuff and got me interested in like tech and electronics and whatnot. So I did that. And then I went to school at UC Santa Cruz and I got my bachelor's in computer engineering there. And then I came to work at Google. So that's <laughs> <laughs> straightforward. Like I just woke up one day. I'm like, oh, I feel like working at Google. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's pretty, yeah, pretty linear, I guess. Uh, I feel yeah, like it's, it seems like a good choice. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. No, I'll just go there today. <laughs> Tell me, like, how do you get to Google, though? Because, like, I feel like the transition between when you graduate college and you get your first, quote-unquote, real-life first job in something you study, like, uh, that's critical for folks like us. So I'm wondering, how, how do you go about getting to Google? I originally started here under a program called the Information Technology Rotation Program, which it's, like, geared for new grads, but also for people that are kind of just starting off in, in the IT industry. And the reason I got that was uh, because I in college, I used to work at the IT department there at the university, kind of just like they, they had student IT techs. We would do kind of low-level tasks, I guess. We do, like, imaging, stuff like that, do basic troubleshooting, nothing super crazy. But, yeah, like, stemming from that, originally, like, when I was in high school and stuff, I enjoyed repairing computers, kind of like as a side business, I guess. That was my side hustle as a teenager. <laughs> That's how I paid for like prom and like, you know, yearbook photos and all of that stuff. Through all of that, I kind of got like experience. And so I knew the inner workings of like, at least kind of how to do right basic computer troubleshooting and repair and stuff like that. It was through kind of all of that that I guess I had some practical experience per se. It was at like a ship conference. This was Baltimore that I had received a travel grant from Google, actually, to go to the National Conference for SHIP. 
And then uh, through that, I guess the, through that process, right? They they tend to screen people's resumes and the kind of people, right? They they I mean, it makes sense. They figure, hey, if we're giving these person money, then maybe we should take a look here. Uh, so it was actually through that that I guess it got flagged to kind of have an interview for this ITRP position. It actually all just kind of went from there. I had all my interviews at that conference right back to back. <laughs> so it was, it was actually really interesting because I wasn't even planning to go to that conference, and it just so happened that one day during the summer, the ship people, the ship national people sent out an email like, hey, you guys have like four days or something to apply to the Google travel grant. I was like, okay, I'm not doing anything tonight. I guess I'll fill this out. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess it worked out, right? (laughs) Keep that in mind. Whoever's listening to this, whatever you are, you know, if you don't have anything to do on a Friday night, hey, fill out a couple of Google applications. You know, you never know those travel grants. Just fill it up. You never know what, what can happen. Definitely. Like, Going forward from that, that was kind of what I would tell everyone, you know, just apply to all this stuff because you really don't know what's going to happen or what's going to come out of these things. I remember the people from SHIP would always tell us, like, we need people to apply to these scholarships. They have sometimes, well, I don't know if that's the case and I don't want to speak for them, but, you know, sometimes they would tell us, like, we have scholarships that we don't even have enough people to give this out to. (laughs) Right. I mean, it makes sense, right? It's some effort that's required to, like, apply to this kind of stuff, but, you know, just do it. I, I hear you. I hear you. And you've mentioned Shep a couple of times and you're a professional member and I'm a member as well. And what is Shep for you? I want to hear like uh, your story, how you got involved in Shep and, you know, how, how it has helped you. I guess, yeah. So I, I got involved in SHIP through our university. We had the program called MEP, which I think is, at least here in California, the Mesa Engineering Program. And it's like a kind of like a statewide program. And they did uh, for incoming freshmen, and I know that they do it at various universities. So they, I've heard about it here at like San Jose State. They did like a one week uh, where they brought incoming freshmen to kind of stay at the university for one week. And we did took like a kind of like a crash course in calculus and like kind of all this stuff, right? Just to kind of let you get a feel for the campus, you know, before we kind of move in. And it was through that that like we would have all the engineering orgs, like student orgs come and talk to us. So we had like the SWE folks and the NSBE folks and we had the SHIP folks. And so it seemed like a cool org. Or so at least at that time, right, as a freshman, I remember just being in the mindset of like, I want to see what's out there, right? Or just kind of put yourself out there type of thing. So I started going to like the ship meetings. And I guess like I found other friends that were kind of also a part of that cohort. And we all kind of kept each other in check, like, hey, are you guys going to the ship meeting tonight type of thing? And then, you know, slowly through that, right, kind of just due to the nature of things, the people that show up to those meetings are sometimes people that you'll have classes with, right? So you start building friendships through that, right? Or you have study buddies and stuff like that, whatnot. For me, like, ship was like the familia there. And it was like the friend group. And it was like, really, it was just the people that you kind of like vent with at like two in the morning as you're like doing lab reports or whatever. Just like, ah, I want to go home. Or like, <laughs> so it's like a peer pressure, but it's a positive peer pressure. It's like, no, dude, let's just do one more problem. And- exactly. It's a positive peer pressure. And to me, it was, it was a big support network. It's the people that kind of have your back through all of that, right? You kind of like you're in the trenches with (laughs) whatnot. (laughs) I kind of started getting more involved in that organization there. And so I took out like a webmaster role. And then uh, at my senior year, I was the president of that chapter. Like, yeah, all of that, I think, kind of just helped. It helped me get over, like, a fear of, like, speaking in front of people and stuff like that. Like, it's very, I guess, like, low-pressure ways to kind of put you in these positions that I feel like now I can kind of, like, speak in front of people and not really panic too much. (laughs) That's awesome. So, actually, tomorrow I'm doing a presentation for 95 people, and you're always scared. You're always freaking out inside. 
but you don't let them see you sweat. <laughs> you, you have to carry yourself confidently because what happens is that if you look nervous, the audience gets nervous because they know, oh, this guy is winging it. But if you seem confident and something that I always tell folks when they ask me is that, Google, how do you do it? Like, just talk slow and breathe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and enjoy the silence. Now, silence is your best friend because what happens is that when you say something and you stop, people will stop because they will hang to every word you say. So that's what works for me. So I'm, I'm happy that, that to hear that Shep really helped you with the public speaking part. That's one of my personal passions. That's something that I really, really do enjoy about, about my job. A lot of times students struggle with uh, finding internships because uh, that uh, chicken and the egg problem that Oh, I can't get an internship because so I don't have experience, but I can't get experience if I don't get an internship. So make Shep your internship. You know, like you mentioned, you were a webmaster. You know, so I'm wondering when you were interviewing for Google at the Shep conference, I don't want to ask you anything like confidential or anything like that, but I'm wondering like how did being a Shep member help you in the interview process? You know, like do you bring up like a Shep examples? Do you use it as part of your interview process? I think it helped. Uh, so for example, in that interview process, right, especially when they like to ask like, hey, what kind of projects do you do or stuff like that? It really helps to have a lot just from like, as you were saying, being a webmaster, right? You know, just maintaining the website or updating it to whatever the latest at that time we we're using. What is this thing called like Drupal or something like that? So it was like, okay, I kind of knew my way around Drupal in a way, especially I think like as a college student or someone that had like very little, like, you know, real world experience. That's kind of what helps, right? I'd always, I always hear from like our recruiters that it's helpful to have like side projects and like personal projects and stuff like that because it shows drive and it shows like technical capabilities. And like, I feel like a lot of people struggle with finding like an idea of like, well, what is my personal project going to be? And for something like that, right? Like with Chip, it helps, right? Because you don't really have to think about the personal project. It's kind of given to you in a way, right? Like if the org as a whole needs something, if they need like a new website or, you know, whatever, then you can figure it out. Like I remember for that, one of my projects that time was we were trying to revamp our mailing list. We had a pretty ancient mailing system and we got on uh, this thing called MailChimp. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Yeah, I, I use it. I, I actually have a the newsletter for my podcast. I, I use it in, in MailChimp. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I moved all of our mailing list to that and then, you know, we got access to kind of all their cool features and whatnot. And yeah, you can like segment different groups and it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. You can see who opens them. I remember that was a, <laughs> that was a huge draw for us. We're like, hey, we need to know which of our people are looking at these emails. <laughs> So Aaron, so what's what's your role at Google now? When you go to a party, like how do you introduce yourself? Like, oh, what do you do at Google? My official role is a technical solutions engineer. That role tends to vary a lot, even just within Google. Um, so I think officially it's supposed to be like a more support focused, like software engineering role. So I think like on the books, it's supposed to be someone that Uh, for example, like Google Cloud, someone on the Google Cloud org that like would handle like external customer requests, like, hey, there's a bug in the API or, you know, we're seeing a decrease in requests or an increase in error rates and stuff like that. And the TSC would be the person kind of like, I guess, you know, tier three support or something like that. TSC would get the ticket, go in and be like, okay, what's going on and provide some analysis and potentially even provide a fix, stuff like that. I think, yeah, that's on an official level, that's kind of what that role is supposed to be. For me personally, what it ends up looking like is I feel like I function a lot more just like a regular software engineer. So I work on like new features to the product and stuff like that. I actually never really interact with external customers. <laughs> 
Would you like to do that eventually at some point? Is that something you, you're thinking for your career roadmap? So originally I thought I did, which is why I kind of got into the job. Like when I was trying to find a new role here and move around, it seemed kind of cool to work with customers. And then I didn't really do much of it. And I, I don't really feel a need for that, I guess. I think it would be kind of cool if I ever wanted to try something completely different. It sounds really glamorous when you say, oh, yeah, I'm going to take uh, out my client for dinner. And uh, it sounds really glamorous that, oh, yeah, we're going to this uh, Michelin star restaurant. And, and yeah. But I'm working. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, like I, I'm working. I'm I'm gonna get home at midnight. And I know awesome. Yeah, I had a really nice dinner and you know, I really like interacting with my clients, learning about their stories and understanding their needs and stuff. But again, but like it, it takes a toll, you know, in your personal life and especially when you travel for work. And I think I'm gonna make an episode only about that, like how to stay sane while traveling for work, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because business travel is, is 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 very different. Yeah. But again, but it's not for everybody, right? Like some people are more like, uh, you know what, it's uh, it's 5.30 p.m. I, I'm going to go home. I'm going to play with my dog and then I'm going to watch Netflix for an hour. And then I'm going to have dinner with my significant other and then and relax. Everybody's different. So so I'm, I'm happy that you know that maybe you thought you wanted it, but maybe not. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm a strong believer that you can learn something new from anyone you meet. That is why every month I compile all the key learnings from this podcasting experience and summarize them in my monthly newsletter. I curate the resources we talk about, key learnings, books I'm currently reading, and give you recommendations on how to become a better Latino professional. You can sign up following the show notes or at latinoswhotech.com. Thank you. So I feel like, at least for me, that was kind of a theme. And I don't know, you know, sometimes I wonder, is that just from being like kind of early in my career, like inexperienced or whatnot? But like originally when I was in school, like my heart was set on being a hardware engineer. I wanted to go work at Intel. I specifically remember going to the Intel people at ship. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, that was where my heart was. And that's what I envisioned myself doing, just like designing chips, doing chip design. You know, it made sense. I thought to myself, that's what I've studied. I did like VLSI and kind of all that stuff. So I was super into all of that. And then, you know, like, I feel like I'm starting to notice it. Like things just kind of like, you know, you have to do some work, but things just kind of happen. Or at least that's kind of the outlook I'm starting to grow is like, you know, things tend to kind of fall in place. Like I'm definitely someone that tends to want to have a plan or whatnot. <laughs> I want to think I know what I, you know, what, what's going on. But at the end of the day, like sometimes to an extent, like things just kind of work out. Yeah, engineers, we are control freaks in a way. Exactly. <laughs> right, that, that we want the, like every single bullet point, every single little feature and stuff like that. And the reality is that you can't control everything, right? So, Correct, yeah. And I, I use that now to kind of try to remind myself to like calm down sometimes, right? If there's a very stressful period or whatnot, you know, you kind of take a step back. Just like, you know what? Like, it's going to be fine. Like, <laughs> you know, there's no need, no need to panic this much. <laughs> it's really interesting to think about it that way because I actually have a couple of friends that are ex-Googlers now. And we we're talking about that. Like one of them, her name is uh, Carolina Lasso. She actually had to go on, a, on leave because she was getting burned out. So she was a marketing manager. She had a team of like 35 people working for her. And what happened is that after six years, she decided that, hey, I found my calling and I'm going to start this uh, working for this mindfulness company. So she's a marketing manager for this mindfulness foundation that actually got started inside Google. <laughs> 
<laughs> so so it still has this googliness aspect to it but she doesn't work in the you know like uh, consumer facing technology anymore you know and, and like a lot of times people think like oh yeah like google is this huge beautiful place like uh, why would you ever want to leave and what happens is that you know sometimes your career progresses and it makes sense to step out okay you want to try a different challenge maybe like uh, if you did everything you wanted to do there so yeah, so it's, I think it's a, it's a beautiful example. And while I have you here, I'm wondering if you can tell me, what is Googliness anyway? How would you go about defining it to somebody that's new to Google? I would say that Googliness would be like, you'd characterize it as like someone that has like a natural curiosity about things. You know, sometimes isn't just satisfied with whatever the basic answer to something is. They want to know like deep down, like, no, but why does this work? Why do we do things this way? Or tell me on a, on a deeper level, on a more fundamental level, why, why is this process like this? Or, you know, even just someone that you might made like some comment in passing and not think much of it. And then you talk to them two days later and they tell you like, hey, you know, you said this thing and it was an interesting topic. And now we went and we coded, you know, some like proof of concept thing of it, <laughs> you know, just for fun or whatever. <laughs> and next thing you know, that's what we call Gmail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like that's how you get stuff like that. And I think, yeah, that's like a perfect example of the Googliness thing. <laughs> awesome. Anna, thank you. The whole concept of the, the 20% projects, you can devote 20% of your time to work on anything you find interesting. That's beautiful to me because you take a step back and think that you're a manager and you hire all these smart people, let them build stuff, give them space to build stuff. Since you're talking about like building stuff, that's something that's super cool. Like we have maker spaces here on campus where you can have access to like woodworking and stuff, right? There's like big table saws and whatnot. So one of the hobbies I'm like kind of into is building mechanical keyboards. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I have one, but I, I, I didn't build it. I bought it off the shelf. Dude, the tactile feel. The feel, the sound, like that gets to me. And you can buy like uh, blank PCBs. And then put your own switches or some people even like hand wire them together. Like it's pretty crazy. But they have like a whole, there's like an electronics area. And so where there's like microscopes and soldering equipment and all this kind of stuff. And I feel like all of that is really cool because it kind of, it keeps you, it, it nurtures that, right? I, I remember talking to someone in one of our hardware divisions here and he was just telling me how he likes to decap chips, like old IC chips. And so like take them in acid and etch away at the layers and just kind of for fun and then he ended up writing some like scripting thing that could like look at an image and then dump like the rom of that chip into like code and i was remember just looking at him like dude what are you talking about <laughs> like you got you just do this like for fun like it's so crazy but you know it makes sense and then you know to, to an extent that could give you ideas for your work like i'm sure for him like as a hardware designer it, it makes sense right <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we actually do that Friday mornings at here at Intel. <laughs> no, but the way that we do it is that we we look at the products that are out there, and we actually do like the etching away to actually look at how the you know, different components of the chips are placed, and then we. But again, we, we look at it from um, engineering side of things, and it's not it's not so much like a hobby. It's really cool that your friend does it as a, as a hobby. That's, that's beautiful. That's, uh, I feel like if I didn't work at Intel, that's the kind of hobby that I would do. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to hardware, back before engineering, I used to work in a recording studio. So that's why like this whole thing about podcasting made sense for me. 
you know, like I love audio, I love editing, adding sound effects, things like that. It's a natural fit, you know, because to me, this is just a way to network, you know, and, and meet interesting people and have that focus time to chat and, you know, catch up with people. So, yeah, like uh, whenever you have a day job, make sure your hobby is as far away as you can. <laughs> as far that. away from that. <laughs> what do you do? Oh, I'm a medical doctor. Okay, well, what's your hobby? I brew IPAs. <laughs> like, oh, okay, that's, that's cool. Yeah, especially for a field like that, it'd be interesting to have a hobby that is very close to your job. Like, I don't know what that would mean. Yeah, I mean, you can do it, of course. It's the way of looking at it, right? It's uh, like, it makes sense. Like, if you're a coder, you're a software engineer, and in your free time, you do like open source, or maybe you like to code games or things like that. Like, that's, that's fine, too. I mean, again, it's going to help you in your craft. But what I mean is like, uh, if you're like a back-end engineer, maybe in your free time, like, actually, let me try this UX stuff. Let me do some wireframing because yeah, maybe I want to get better at it. Maybe it's just fun. It's really interesting to see what uh, people come up with. So, Aaron, I was wondering, for the people that listen to this, you know, that a lot of them are young professionals, a lot of them are students looking for their first real job out there. If you had to interview at Google again, how would you go about preparing? Sometimes that's a, it's a difficult question to answer. I think it, it really varies by person. Kind of, again, like we were talking about earlier, like I, I'm someone that will get lost sometimes in the details if I think about them too much. My strategy for interviewing has kind of been to try to not do a lot of prep, like do, do a little bit of prep, obviously, but not like try not to panic, try to keep a level head about it. Because otherwise, like, you know, I feel like especially as you start doing prep, you'll find all the things that you don't remember. And then you completely go off the deep end. So I had a, I interviewed that time for IT. And at that point, I just went and looked up like IT interview questions. And I tried to get a basic grasp on like Linux stuff, just make sure that I kind of remembered, you know, my basics. And then when I transitioned to this technical solutions engineer role, I had to do a coding interview. And so for that, I just went and did a bunch of coding, like practice problems. Right. There's a bunch of websites like, was it like Code Wars or Leak Code or whatnot? A bunch of these websites where you can just do these like kind of small practice coding things. And I feel like a lot of them are like, that's kind of what you'd get at least like at a, for a entry level coding position, right? Like you just kind of get like these basic tasks. So I feel like that kind of stuff really helped me. And that was like enough practice, I think, without really like panicking too much over like, how do you write these proofs for like algorithms or whatnot, right? Because I feel like you, with that kind of stuff, you'll very quickly like begin to panic. <laughs> you lose focus on kind of just remembering your basics, which is, I feel like ultimately, at least at, at that point for those kinds of roles, that's ultimately kind of what the interviewers care about. For sure. And do you know um, Karina Deras? I think so, yeah. I think I've met her before. So she's a recruiter at Google, and I saw her give this presentation about this particular topic, like preparing for that uh, Google interview. And uh, something that stuck with me when she was given it is that, hey, guys, remember, it's okay to ask questions to the recruiter. So when they ask you stuff like, uh, okay, you have a list of 300 features, how would you go about picking the next one to code? It's okay to ask clarifying questions like, uh, yeah, so what's the focus of our team for this quarter? What's the OKR? Wait, so what does the product manager say? Again, because I'm the coder, but what does the product manager say? Or what is the marketing roadmap look like? Uh, so it's okay to ask questions because they want to see how you think, how you approach problems and and part of approaching a problem is, hey, let me take a look at the whole picture or at least the part of the picture that I have clear vision of. 
Yeah, correct. One thing too that that I noticed, and and again, this might just be a per person thing, but that really helped me for this interview was to get into a, a very similar space as to where you're going to have the interview. Obviously, for me, that was easy because it was already at Google, so I went to one of the conference rooms and like sat down. But one thing that I noticed there actually was just standing up in front of a whiteboard and writing your code on a whiteboard made such a huge difference because I noticed that I would immediately almost forget everything for some reason. It's just right like that being in a different environment you're like you're used to especially i don't think anyone would code on a whiteboard normally in their day-to-day most people do it sitting down in front of a computer but i could pick up on that that like hey i feel like i'm struggling here as i'm doing this standing up and i'm really glad that i noticed that like a couple days before the interview because then i just spent the rest of my practice time doing all of my practice coding like that and that helped so much because then when i went to actually go do the interview i was so much more relaxed and i remember doing a mock interview beforehand and i was just like you know kind of in that panic mode to an extent so i think just kind of try to i guess think outside the box right try to kind of visualize like hey you know if we're going to do an on-site in-person interview you know they might have you do it on a computer but they will probably also want you to do like whiteboard coding. So make sure that that isn't the first time that you've ever done whiteboard coding, right? Right. (laughs) Then you'll be, you know, thinking about the semantics of writing on the whiteboard and whatnot instead of what you should be thinking about, which is the coding itself. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, do I use pseudocode? Do I use comments? What what do I do? So Yeah, exactly. That's that's a great insight. It's all the little things. Like for me, I I would have a hard time keeping my handwriting straight, you know, and it's just like, you shouldn't be worrying about that at that time. <laughs> You've been super generous with your time. And thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Especially, you know, it's a Monday afternoon, Monday night. Uh, so I really appreciate it. Always happy to help out. <laughs> Anything else in your mind that you'd like to share to this audience? As I mentioned before, a lot of them are you know, young professionals or even more seasoned professionals that want to learn more about working in tech, working in Silicon Valley, anything. And, you know, they're curious about this experience of, Latinos that work in the technology industry. So like anything else you'd like to share? One thing that I think is really important is just to kind of, you know, be involved in all these various organizations, right? If you're a student, you know, kind of try to get involved. It doesn't have to be SHIP. It doesn't even have to be an engineering work, right? It could just be some other organization. But all of that builds a lot of skills that like, especially as students, like they don't teach. Like you aren't taught from a book, right? Like how to give a presentation or whatever. You aren't taught a lot of these interpersonal things, like how to do this conflict resolution stuff that ends up almost being sometimes more important than your coding or whatever. You need to get some exposure to all of these things, right? You need to get, I guess, more well-rounded per se. And so like, yeah, I would just say get get involved, you know, for a lot of these organizations. And especially if it's something where you're doing volunteering work, you help yourself out. And then it also helps other people out. It kind of brings in, you know, the next generation of people or the next people that are kind of following through. I don't know. That would kind of, I guess, be my parting piece of advice. (laughs) No, that's great. That's great. And being involved, that's how I became an engineer. I wouldn't have been able to finish school if if it wasn't for for a chef. You know, they they were my support group and they were the people that where I found mentors and I found mentees eventually. And even at work or whenever I moved, when I moved from Florida to the West Coast, the way that I made friends first was, okay, I'm at work. I have some friends here, but I miss my Latino people, you know, you know how it is. Like, uh, you miss that. Like, I miss being able to speak Spanish with anybody. So the first thing I did is I actually, I was living in Sacramento and actually, oh, well, Sacramento State is a big school. Do they have a chef chapter? Oh, yes. 
So I went to their website. Thank you, webmaster of Sac State Chef. <laughs> and uh, Thursdays, 7 p.m., general body meeting. And I showed up. And hey, guys, I'm an engineer at Intel. I just miss my people. <laughs> I miss my Chef Familia. So. And that's how I made my first few friends uh, here in the West Coast. So it's, uh, yeah, being involved, it's key. So I, I echo that 100%. Like, I mean, yeah, we met at like a ship or, yeah, right. It was the ship event. So. Yeah, yeah, they invited me to do, um, it was the Bomba Blast or something Yeah, like that. that was the Bomba and Blast. They, they, they invited me to do a public speaking workshop to the students over at, at Google. And you were the host. Yeah, I was helping them host it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, uh, well, th thank you for hosting. <laughs> Otherwise, we would have we would have uh, to like take over like uh, a Dennis or something. Something else, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's California, right? It's always nice outside. So yeah, you just hung out park, outside at a park or something. Yeah, but I think Google's a nice place. Google's a nice place. <laughs> <laughs> Through all of that, right, you get to meet a lot of really cool people. And, and like, yeah, you, you never know, like, what opportunity or what that person might bring kind of to the conversation or to the table. Could just be friendship, could be a professional opportunity. You never know. <laughs> never know. Yep. Awesome. Awesome, Aaron. So thank you so much for joining us here at uh, Latinos Attack. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me.